With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in once again to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Travis Ryer, the senior analyst, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com along as well also the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch at 102.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. The Talking Tide podcast available at our web host at podbean.com. You can also get it on various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And we will be previewing, of course, the Alabama-Oklahoma college football playoff semifinal here in this edition of the program, Travis, a lot of hype about these offenses, obviously, coming in this game. Two of the uh, elite offenses in the nation. Oklahoma, matter of fact, number one in the nation in uh, yards per game. Uh, so that's kind of all the talk, I guess, going in early. And then, uh, um, you know, also, Tua Tungvaloa uh, commenting the other day, he's 80 to 85% with that uh, ankle. That number may be a little bit lower than uh, Alabama fans probably wanted to hear. Or maybe it's a bit of gamesmanship from Tua. Who knows? But, yeah, in terms of the percentage that you're right, the Alabama fan base wanted to hear from the sophomore phenom, that's not exactly 100%. Now, you know, I was asked the question in the last couple of days, well, what do you think Tua was at for, say, the LSU game? Uh, and, and we know he played pretty well and had a, a big touchdown run in that game as well. Um, you know, I, w- the, the 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 answer to the question is we, we really won't know until game time. And he seems to feel good about where he's at in terms of his ability to do the things primarily that make him so effective. And I think in this game chase against this Oklahoma defense, specifically this Oklahoma pass defense, it may not really matter. You know, in terms of his mobility and whether or not they can use him on some designed runs or if he can, you know, get outside the pocket and do some things while improvising. I think where it would matter more is if Alabama gets past Oklahoma and sees, say, a Clemson, even if Dexter Lawrence isn't able to go in that game. Um, that's when you need a quarterback that can truly, uh, you know, do some things with his legs. I, looking at this Oklahoma pass defense, I, I think the receivers – for Alabama should be able to help out Tua plenty enough. Real quick, the nuts and bolts on this game for our listeners. Alabama, of course, coming in seeded one. Oklahoma sits at the four seed. It'll be a 7 p.m. Central time kickoff on ESPN, or at least that's when the broadcast will begin uh, at Hard, from Hard Rock Stadium, Mar- Miami Gardens, Florida. Oklahoma comes in 12-1, and one, Travis 8-1 and one, uh, from the Big 12 Conference play. Uh, and as we look at Oklahoma a little bit, we started with Tua Tungvaloa's ankle. Why don't we start, as long as we're here, with Hollywood Brown's ankle? Uh, uh, which of those two ankles do you think maybe your gut feeling is more of a concern going into the game? Yeah, I think they're both huge. And, you know, I think you look at Oklahoma's offense with Kyler Murray pulling the trigger, trigger 
and you think, well, you know, there's there's other Marquise Hollywood Browns on that roster. There really isn't. Um, C.D. Lamb has had an extremely productive season in his own right, a thousand yard receiver, actually a higher yards per catch average than even Marquise Brown. So this is a guy who can do it in terms of explosive plays in his own right, uh, double digit touchdown receptions for Lamb. But there's a drop off once you get past those two guys. Now, it's kind of been a by committee approach for Oklahoma when you talk depth. And Lee Morris has been productive in his own right. I think he has eight touchdown catches on just like 25 or 30 grabs. So this is a guy per catch in terms of touchdown production right up there. But um, to not have Marquise Brown available or limited in this game, I think that's huge for Oklahoma. Because whereas Lamb has been productive, I'm not sure if a lot of his numbers haven't come off the back of what Brown presents to defenses. And, you know, that RPO game of Oklahoma puts you in a bind regardless if you're a defense because you have to account for the quarterback in the run game. And in doing that, that makes you play a lot of man coverage on the outside. And, you know, when you try to do that against a Hollywood Brown or even a C.D. Lamb, uh, you find yourself in some tough spots. So Patrick Sertan the second, also Savion Smith, uh, maybe even Shaheem Carter, some in the slot. Uh, and they're going to have to be at their best because I think Alabama's, as they typically have done, going to man up a good bit in this game. Man up for sure. and, and, and No question, Tua and Marquise Hollywood-Brown will play in the game, but you know, you don't quite know what they're going to look like. That's the key. W- yep. will, will Brown look like he w- would have looked uh, f- flying down the field in September? Uh, will Tungavaloa look – uh, like, you know, he looked most of the year, or will he have a little bit of a gimp, which we've seen him play through, but also affect him at times during this season, certainly uh, not just the, the Georgia game and the NCAA SEC title game, but as well, uh, certainly the Mississippi State game, we saw him, we saw his play affected um, uh, by his, you know, the physical condition, the, you know, the, the injury that he was able to stand on and throw on, but wasn't the same quarterback on. How much do you think uh, there's a plan for Jalen Hurts in this game compared to your typical game? Say going into the Georgia game with Tua healthy, do you think there's an uptick in that in terms of the potential involvement for Jalen, whether it's, you know, if, if Tua just isn't himself or even on a situational basis, Chase, because quarterback runs have been a real problem for this Oklahoma defense. I think they've given up right around 30 rushing touchdowns this season, uh, which is a big number, and 10 of those have come at the hands of opposing quarterbacks. What do you think as far as Jalen's potential role in this game? I, I got two thoughts, and well, really one thought on Jalen, but then a then a, a related thought. I f- would expect that the Alabama coaching staff, given Tungavaloa's uh, situation, I don't want to call it tedious, that's probably too strong a word, um, but given the fact that they can't be certain Tua was going to be uh, 100%, you probably give Jalen Hurts more reps in practice. Uh, you probably put together more of a package for him, but I don't necessarily think that you work him into the script and the game plan and, and, and say, okay, we're, we're going to uh, 
uh, commit to X number of snaps or series for Jalen Hurts. No, I don't think you see that. But I do think that if he's called on because that tongue of Aloha ankle gets tweaked again, he's going to be more ready maybe uh, because he's gotten more reps and, and, and has been given um, more of a plan maybe than he would have been uh, midseason. Yeah, and I think regardless of who's in there at quarterback, here's the one thing I do know. Alabama receivers are going to be open. And then it's just going to be a matter of whether or not it's Tonga Bailoa or uh, or Hurts uh, if it comes down to it uh, in hitting those guys. Because going back and watching this Oklahoma defense throughout the season, you know, it wasn't just one or two teams that lit these guys up. It wasn't just the West Virginias that you sort of expect or the Oklahoma States. Uh, it was pretty much everybody on the schedule outside of Army. You know, and in Army, just as we know, the only real passes Army throws are pitches on the option. Um, but, you know, I, I just can't see, um, you know, Alabama's receivers losing many of those battles against the uh, Oklahoma secondary. It's statistically the dead last worst pass defense in America. And they're sitting yeah. and they're sitting here in the college football playoff, giving up 291 yards a game uh, through the air. Uh, that's that's a dead last in the in the whole FBS, 130 schools. So uh, yeah, for them to even be here and that to be the case is is uh, makes me scratch my head a little bit. Uh, but that said. I, th- I think you run the ball if you're Alabama. I said in our last podcast when we did a kind of a mid-December news update before Christmas, uh, I think I think we're going to see Nick Saban come out with with tight ends and a power running wow. game out of the gate, and and it's going to accomplish two things. First of all, it's not like the Oklahoma run defense is stout. It's soft enough. Run defense is 53rd in the country, giving up 160 yards a game. And that's in the Big 12, okay? 160 yeah. yards of ground on the game in, in the Big 12, that's like giving up 260 over this way. So, um, so and you're going you're gonna to 1990 Alabama basketball against Loyola Marymount, <laughs> these guys, you know? Look, I don't you're know. Gonna, if, you're going to try, try to get Paul Westhead into a slowdown game. <laughs> and Alabama did that 90 good bread, and how that work out yeah How'd that work out in that 62 to 60 loss to the lions and the yeah. ncaa tournament well you know huh? i i say pedal to the metal if you can score 70 on these cats go score 70 yeah. and if they score 71 hey and i've got trust issues when it comes to this alabama defense don't get me wrong this is not 2015 or even 2016 alabama defensively so if you take the approach of pedal to the metal then, yeah, I think there's a possibility that you could give up 40-plus easy. But when I look at this Oklahoma pass defense, Chase, there's layups. There's not just layups. They're horrific. There's dunks. It could be a dunk contest for Alabama on offense if it wants it to be that. But you think Nick's going to revert back to maybe some 2011 Nick? I think that's how he's going to I think that's how he's going to open. All right. Okay. I'm not, yeah. yeah. I'm. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to run the ball 45 times and do it yeah. all night long. But I think right. that that's what I expect. Expect to see established out of the gate because it. it I think balance. I think balance is going to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's always going to be a part of it. Where it's different this year, though, is with Tua and these receivers, as you know, Alabama's come out of the gates looking to go right down the field, ripping you in the passing game. 
but you see a little bit of a, a switch in this game to start at least. It's just not gonna. It's just not gonna shock me. And, and look, if they can get six or eight yards of rip with Damian Harrison crew to open the game, what does that do? That's perfect. That's perfect for Tua because it keeps linebackers and blitzer. Look, Oklahoma is gonna come. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, with the pass rush. And so if we see Alabama just come out and just start slinging it with, with, with three and four wide down after down, well, you're going to get some chunks and you're going to hit some big plays because that's a bad pass defense. But if you're OU, you can sit back there and take that. You're going to be coming and getting some shots onto a tongue of a low because you've seen what a couple of good shots can do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see that, but... Um... You know, the problem with this OU defense is even when it brings pressure, guys are so wide open, it seems like, uh, that the pass rush, the blitz, doesn't get there a lot. And, I, you know, and, and that's something that I'm sure you have to factor into this if you're Mike Loxley and Nick Saban as far as your offensive plan trying to protect a quarterback who at least self-admittedly says he's not 100% going into the game. But, you know, here, here's the luxury I've got, too. I've got a guy who just won the Southeastern Conference Championship game with me for me with a couple of drives in the fourth quarter in Jalen Hurts. If my backup going into this game is Mac Jones, well, then I'm probably even more hypersensitive to Tua's health status. But if it comes down to me having to alter my game plan based on the quarterback position, well, I've got another one I feel pretty good about, too. Yeah. No doubt. Speaking of the Alabama run game, Travis, we'd be remiss in uh, this episode of Talking Tide to not touch on Deontay Brown, uh, the suspension of the Alabama left guard. As it relates to that running game, the aforementioned running game, yeah. uh, your thoughts on the, the impact that suspension will have in in, in this contest? You know, maybe if they, maybe if they throw it all over the yard, uh, it, uh, like you're thinking, maybe it's not not as big a factor him being absent. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Again, this is one of those situations that I think you're more concerned about looking ahead to a potential matchup with that Clemson front than you are uh, what you'll see from uh, Oklahoma uh, on Saturday night. Not that uh, Neville Gallimore and Amani Bledsoe aren't nice, solid players, uh, but they're not Dexter Lawrence, okay? They're not Christian Wilkins. They're not those guys. So I think it's... It's something you can deal with, especially when you're talking about a veteran in Lester Cotton who has over 20 career starts, almost up, upwards of 30 now, I think. Um, it's not ideal. I'll tell you where, if you're an Alabama fan, your biggest concern is, was this an NCAA-related suspension? You know, as we saw with Dexter Lawrence and the Clemson players. Uh, because if it was, as you know, those NCAA suspensions typically aren't one-gamers. They're not two-gamers. They can extend well into the next season. Uh, if they're a result of, of an NCA failed test or, or something along those lines. So you know, I think it's something Alabama can manage with Lester Cotton. Again, not ideal should you see Clemson uh, in a championship game scenario. Uh, but for me, the bigger concern is 2019 potentially. Yeah, the NCAA suspension tends to be a big one, uh, especially when it's caught around this time of year, December. August and December, Travis, those are the suspension months, yeah. right? That's when you hear about yeah. most of it. Probably 80% of them, August and December. Yeah, you remember Robbie Green got uh, yes, popped. That's right. Uh, in 2009, we didn't see him in 2010, you know? I mean, so, you know, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't have that information that Deontay Brown's suspension is related to that, but the timing – and kind of the, the way in which it was reported right on the heels 
of what we've learned about Clemson, uh, it, it concerns you a little bit if you're an Alabama fan. Yeah. The Alabama defense versus Kyler Murray. Travis, let's hit on that quickly as well. Obviously, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner uh, said to be, it, it, I don't know, the cold and flu season just seems to hit uh, these superstars sometimes right before the big game so often. I'm sure he's a little under the weather. He's obviously going to play. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on, on that matchup and and – his ability, first and foremost, now he throw the heck out of the ball. He's thrown for 4,000 yards. But what makes him doubly dangerous, obviously, is his ability to tuck it, Travis. And, and you know, when you get these three and four wide sets with vertical routes against man coverage, uh, it's, it's like the, the C's just part for a guy like this to run the ball. Yeah, and what Oklahoma does in terms of their overall offensive concepts it puts you in a tough spot from a standpoint of personnel. You know, you want to get more speed on the field, um, but Oklahoma does things in its personnel groupings. They'll show two tight end sets, uh, but then they'll use Grant Calcaterra essentially as an Irv Smith type. He's a tight end by trade, but you're going to see him flexed out. You'll see him split out um, Calcaterra, the tight end for Oklahoma. So, you know, first and foremost, though, about this Oklahoma offense, I think the biggest misconception about OU offensively is that this is an air raid uh, approach, you know, four or five wide, sling it all over, and then let uh, Kyler Murray do his things in terms of running as more of an improviser. No, 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 no. It is an RPO-based power spread offense, and it shows up in the form of the running back production. You know, Rodney Anderson, Oklahoma's top back, goes out. Early in the season, week two, against UCLA, Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, a couple of second-year guys, they've combined for right at 2,000 rushing yards, uh, even with Anderson out. So if you're Alabama defensively, yeah, you have to concern yourself with with Kyler Murray. And really, you want to make this game all about Kyler Murray, believe it or not, because if Sermon and Brooks are getting theirs in the ground on the ground in addition to Kyler Murray doing what he can do, uh, then the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, so to speak, and you're not getting it put back in, in all likelihood. So, you know, what I expect Saturday night is obviously Kyler Murray to, to have to really put up some huge numbers in the passing game. But I think Kyler Murray uh, is going to have to probably lead Oklahoma in rushing too, Chase. So, you know, you talk about a validation game for Kyler Murray in terms of a Heisman Trophy. He's going to have our, every opportunity, I think, to do it in this one. So, one side being, you know, Alabama playing a lot of two high safeties, doing whatever they can to bracket uh, C.D. Lamb and, and Marquise Brown uh, versus a game plan where they're playing on their toes a little bit more and, and uh, trying to take Sermon out of the picture, yeah. Kennedy Brooks out of the picture early. Uh, the more likely defensive game plan for uh, Alabama, in your opinion, of the two. See, I, I don't know if you can play a lot of too high, uh, cut, uh, too deep safety um, because of that extra blocker in the run game for Kyler Murray. Yeah. I think you're going to see Xavier McKinney down in the box a lot. You've seen Deontay Thompson, the range he has from the middle of the field, from sort of a man-free look. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and his ability to go sideline to sideline. Uh, I think you're going to see Xavier McKinney involved a good bit early in the game against that run. Uh, and against uh, Kyler Murray uh, as a part of that. And I think Dylan Moses, too. Th those would be the two guys 
that I think when you look at the tackle sheet at the end of the night, Saturday night, Chase, those would be my picks for Alabama. Uh, Dylan Moses and our Xavier McKinney to be be high on those lists. McKinney's had a big year. Really, the secondary as a whole, considering how little experience that whole group had coming into the year, it's remarkable how that how well they played. McKinney, though, pretty pretty quietly is, is, has been outstanding. Yeah, and it's been a while for either of those safeties to record an interception. Chase, you know, it's been September since either Thompson or McKinney had a pick. So I get the feeling that if Alabama is successful in dealing with Murray on the ground and kind of force him to sit in there and have to make throws at five nine, five nine and a half. Uh, especially in the middle of the field, this might be a game where we see Thompson and or McKinney get off of that sort of interception uh, snide. Alabama in the first seven games of the year, Chase, first seven games of the season had 12 picks as a defense, a ton. The last six games, they've had two. So, you know, takeaway time uh, would would seem to be uh, about this time for this, this Alabama defense when it comes to, to interceptions. The special teams aspect of the game, we'll hit on that here uh, quickly as well. Travis, your thoughts there? I think, uh, you know, Alabama's special teams uh, in, in a large way had a, had a big role, obviously, against uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. And going into that game, of course, the thought was Georgia had the special teams edge. Um, this Oklahoma special team, C.D. Lamb, by the way, an outstanding punt returner, averaging about 13, 14 yards per punt return. And Alabama doesn't have a, a J.K. Scott hit, hitting these, you know, sky bombs and forcing fair catches over and over. Maybe something to factor in there. Could be. You know, if Oklahoma can get some stops, you know, that's that's where it starts. But, you know, I think if, if there's a bigger edge even in special teams, um, it's Austin Siebert the kicker punter uh, for Oklahoma. He's the Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Year, ranks first in Oklahoma in Big 12 history and career points, um, does a great job on kickoffs. He's a better kicker than he is a punter, but he's serviceable. Uh, he has a career punting average of right around 42 yards, um, and he's a team captain. So you know, if, if it comes down to it, uh, as far as kicking the football goes, I think Oklahoma feels really comfortable with having Austin Siebert, a veteran who's been in this spot. Had a, had a, uh, I think he had what a field goal block though against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl uh, in the semifinal last year. Uh, that, that was huge. Uh, but Siebert's been really, really good over the duration of his career. You got a prediction together for this game yet, or you not uh, not yet nailed that down? Yeah, I, I think I like Alabama in, in kind of a, a high-scoring game that, that people are expecting. Something like 48-31 to 31 is what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, I, what do you think? I think high-scoring as well. I, I think how many stops, you know, the variance between Alabama stops and Oklahoma stops are going to be huge. Like you just said, Oklahoma's not going to get many, but Alabama doesn't need a ton. Uh, you know, if, if Alabama, if Oklahoma gets, uh, uh, let's say, two stops a half, and, and and Alabama gets four a half, if the turnovers are even, that's the ball game. So you know, I, I'm yeah, thinking, and, and I, I think that I think that's I think that's all Alabama would need, perhaps. I think two stops a half, and I expect Alabama will get maybe a few more than that. Um, I, I think that that would be enough for Alabama to get the job done because. 
you know, maybe Oklahoma pulls a, a, a rabbit out of its hat uh, defensively, uh, but it hadn't it hadn't been it hadn't had the look of coming uh, from this Oklahoma defense. Talk a Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, Going to thank a few sponsors now, starting with North River Dental Associates, Dr. Jack Smalley and his group over there uh, off of McFarland Boulevard at 1100 Fairfax Park doing an outstanding job. Uh, trust your teeth, trust your family's teeth to Dr. Jack and his group over there. Uh, professional staff, they get you in and out of there on a routine cleaning in no time flat, Uh under an hour typically uh, and they just do a great job at North River Dental Associates. Also want to thank Urban Cookhouse, the outstanding farm to fire to table restaurant at 1490 North Bank Parkway off Rice Mine Road. Uh, check them out, Vince Hunter and his group over there uh, putting together some outstanding meals off those big green egg ceramic smokers. They got an assortment of wraps and salads if you're looking to eat healthier. If you want something a little heavier, uh, you go to that fork and knife section of the menu. Maybe go with the down home, three thick slices of smoked turkey, pineapple ham, and some hot cheddar pasta, uh, a broccoli salad, and a warm orange roll. You can't beat that over at Urban Cookhouse, 1490 North Bank Parkway. I'm going to tell you about Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa right there at 3200 Skyland Boulevard East. That's where you're going to find the very best selection of automobiles, both new and certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. Go to MercedesOfTuscaloosa.com right now. Check out the entire inventory that sits on the lot today. Then make your way to 3200 Skyland Boulevard East. Again, for the best in selection, sales, and service after the sale, it is Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. Also, our good friends at Carty and Lloyd, Attorneys at Law, downtown Tuscaloosa. That's where you're going to find Michael Carty and John Lloyd, a pair of local attorneys who have a combined 60-plus years of experience between them. Give them a call right now, 205-759-1554. 205-759-1554. You can also check out the website, www.cartyloydlaw.com. That's Carty and Lloyd, attorneys at law. Talking Tide Podcast, podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Moves on, Travis Ryer and Chase Goodbread with you. Trying to pull this podcast off on the deck here, and the wind has started to howl a little bit. I got a couple of tin cans just uh, blowing by like tumbleweeds or something, but but uh, we'll see. <laughs> so I'll apologize for any uh, any of that background noise. But, uh, Travis, uh, the Notre Dame-Clemson game, obviously we'll touch on that quick before we get out of here. The 2-3 seed game over at the Cotton Bowl. Clemson a big favorite. Uh, but Clemson going to be missing one of their outstanding defensive linemen, it would appear, uh, Dexter Lawrence, uh, the big defensive tackle who uh, tested positive for a substance that's not only against NCAA rules but apparently is is – illegal altogether uh and it's uh definitely something that uh could could impact this game you'd think in a big way but maybe not given that clemson is already so stout across the rest of that dl yeah if you're notre dame you needed about two or three other defensive linemen to to be suspended for this game yeah and and that's understanding dexter lawrence is a really good player and he's right in the middle of that front and sets the tone right there in the middle but you know what it goes back to for me continuously when I look at this game is you know even without Lawrence where are the points going to come from for Notre Dame is Ian Book 
that dude at quarterback that's going to be able to take advantage of a Clemson defense that on the back end, I think you can uh, make some hay against. Uh, I, I just don't know that. I, I, I watched Notre Dame muddle past the likes of USC and struggle offensively, and I, and I try to project that to a defense like Clemson, and that's where I run into a bit of a wall uh, in in sort of uh, liking the, the Irish's chances in this game. You know, but offensively for Clemson, you love all the playmakers. Trevor Lawrence, the true freshman quarterback's great. Etienne is a home run hitter in the backfield. The wide receiver spots are still covered uh, in this offense. But I think Notre Dame's defensive front can give Clemson's offensive line a lot of problems. I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game, and I think Notre Dame's defense will keep the Irish in it. Again, though, I just don't know uh, if, if there's going to be enough points from this, this Notre Dame offense to, to get the job done. I think it's going to be an embarrassment. I, I, I think it's going to look uh, – I think they're going to – I think we're looking at, you know, like a 41-13 to 13 kind of game. But we'll see. Notre, you know, Notre Dame – So Alabama-Notre Dame is what you're – Alabama – Notre Dame down you, in uh, Miami Gardens there six you, years ago. That's what you're seeing here. And and, and Clemson's not going to do it with the, the running game the way Alabama did in that one. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see uh, ATN and company commanding the offense. I think it's going to be the Lawrence show, though, with the same outcome. Uh, just kind of a runaway. Uh, we shall see. But uh, it's going to be uh, a 4 o'clock uh, Eastern time kickoff, I want to say. Yeah, uh, for the, yeah, three central. They go for that the one. The JV so. game before the varsity <laughs> fired up a little bit later. Millions, Travis, will be uh, stapled to a seat for uh, the better part of eight hours to catch both ends of both games. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Although ticket prices uh, for the Orange Bowl a lot more doable at this point with the ticket man than say the Cotton Bowl. The Notre Dame man, you get Notre Dame in a game, and, and the ticket man just. You know, he, he can buy his own private island. That's, I think that's what's happening with Clemson and Notre Dame. It's funny you mention that because I happen to know uh, a couple of a couple of Alabama season ticket holders who 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 aren't um, who aren't yeah. who aren't automatic for tickets to the game. Gotten a couple of couple of cold calls from from UA. Oh, and office. and 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 before the playoff even started, UA notified some of those same sort of level of season ticket holders for Alabama fans that look basically saying there's going to be tickets for the national championship game if you want them so you know I think a lot I think what we're seeing is a lot of Clemson people and a lot of Alabama people are saving up for um Santa Clara and 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 it's just so expensive now I mean you look at what the ticket prices were for Georgia in the SEC championship game you look at the travel costs involved to going to Miami for the game against Clemson uh, against uh against Oklahoma and then potentially a trip out west uh, for a national champion. It's just, you know, it's, it's exorbitant. I mean, there's there's no other way to describe the, the cost involved these days. Yeah, I heard Gene Stallings on the radio of, of several, like maybe a week or so ago, essentially making the same point about the uh, Joe fan just getting priced out at this time of year, and it's a shame to see. Uh, game's gotten bigger. Game's gotten better in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's it's definitely become a, a TV game for the vast majority of even hardcore fans. No doubt about that. It, it's well, and and all of this is about television anyway. You know, ESPN um, they don't care how many people show up for the game. You know, it's it's 
how many eyeballs are on the televisions and the numbers continue to support um, what ESPN has done look at the, pre, the yeah look so. at look at the pre-Christmas bowls on ESPN and what you saw yeah. in the, on between the 40 yard lines in the stands yeah. uh, and some of those games that were that were on but they, but that's it's like that every year they keep coming on TV so so obviously no obviously that crowd's got nothing to do with it no doubt no doubt about it it's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover. We'll come back at you following the Alabama-Oklahoma game with a recap edition of the Talking Tide podcast. We'll talk to you then.